In this episode, we're going to talk about what Ellie knows about wine tours and whether she can give one. And I talk about glow sticks and how they work. Hey there. This is I Should Know This with Joey and Ellie, a podcast where Ellie and Joey ask each other questions that they should know and the other tries to explain it to the best of their ability. And then at the end, we fact check. That's right. So Joey... You go first this time. All right. So my question for you is, we went on vacation, so sorry for the absence. One of the things that Ellie had said is, I am so smart about these wine tours that I could give them. So I'm going to let you, since you should know the basics, maybe even a little bit more than that, give a wine tour. To whatever degree, about whatever winery, it doesn't have to be specific to a winery. I give you the freedom. Okay, so I'm supposed to like just go through it as if I'm a tour guide and give you a tour on this fake vineyard? Yeah, I mean, you don't have to make up a vineyard name, but if you want to talk about a vineyard in specific, and then just about the process of how wine is made from... So this is how all of the wine tours go. They go, this is our building. It was built on this day and if it's a new one it's like and it's been totally optimized for the most efficient use and like we're able to make grapes more efficient or not make grapes but make wine more efficiently than everyone else for these reasons and isn't it a beautiful building da 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 then the second thing is if it's an older one they'll be like oh this building was built here and like we've grown from that point to this day by this much and we repurposed all of these areas for the production of wine and nobody lives here anymore but they used to so that's like one of the two ways that it starts and then they take you past some of the vines and they say these vines are this many years old and our soil is made of this so that's why our grapes are extra special And the oldest vines produce the least amount of fruit, so it's the best wine, the most concentrated flavors that you can get. And that goes in our ultra-premium bottles. And how old are these vines, would you say? It depends on if it's New World or Old World, Joey. How old the vines are? Kind of. If you had to ballpark. In Chile, they're like never 100 years. They're like maybe 80 tops. Okay. And then I'm sure in France, there's like 100 year old vines and what kind of soil types would you say so there's clay which is like doesn't get a lot of water i guess and then there's stone where they have to like or i guess granite where they have to the roots have to dig really far down in order to get any water there is sand which is like a lot of casablanca which is not normally soil that's good for grapes then i think it's with the stone ones they No, no, no. With the Casablanca, there's extra minerality in the wine because of the sea breeze that goes past all of the grapevines. And what would you say is in the sea breeze? Sea breeze. Salt and minerals. Okay. Um, Okay, so then they show you the the vines and then they say whether they're hand-picked or not and when they're harvested. And if it's biodynamic, they're like, we wait until it's a full supermoon so that the water is drawn up from the soil by the moon's gravitational pull. 
the most optimal time to pick the grapes or just like by how ripe that strain or uh, I don't know the word type of grape is because they all ripen at different times and then they're all like planted in specific places to get either a ton of sun or not a lot of sun and then they'll be like and these vineyards never freeze over because of our temperate climate if you're in Casablanca. And so then from there, they talk about harvesting the grapes and they have like a long table with workers where they basically destem everything and all of the white grapes go into a steel <laughs> barrel where they sit for a few days. Just the steel, not a certain kind of steel. Oh, did they say? Stainless. Okay, but like obviously it's stainless steel. I thought you meant like, you know how stainless steel has different numbers associated. Yeah, the Yeah. <laughs> So I was like, I don't know that. And then they talk about like whether they add yeast or if it's all the yeast from the skin of the grapes and like how sometimes they have like, it's not a centrifuge, but something that like basically separates the stems and skins and stuff from the juice or they do it by gravity and the spout is like at the bottom or whatever. And then what else? There's more that goes on in that first few days when it's like, I guess getting all of the like the fermentation is starting and then they put it in barrels and block off the oxygen or at least minimize it to stop the fermentation from happening too quickly. Is this for white wine or for red wine? Well, it depends because sometimes Chardonnay goes in a barrel, but most of the time white wine is aged in steel and red wine in barrels and it can be French oak or it can be American oak. An American oak is a little harsher because it's more, it has larger pores. And then the French oak is more refined and softer because it has tiny pores. And then it also depends on how they toast the barrel. And then depending on how like good or quality the wine is, it can sit for longer or shorter. And then some countries regulate how long it sits in bottles. And then... They bottle it, they sell it, and then this is our best wine. Oh, and sometimes in the barrel room, it's like they play weird monk music because the vibrations help the wine. In all vineyards, or would you say in some <laughs> I've only seen or? it in one, <laughs> but it was awesome. And most of the time, the barrel rooms feel like dungeons, but that's what they're supposed to be. How so? Because there's prisoners everywhere? Well, or? they like have, they want it to be in a dark, cool place because it's just more things to slow down the process so that everything is happening really slowly. Like we were talking about before where chemical reactions don't happen as quickly when it's cold. Was that a good tour? Yeah, I think I covered the bases. <laughs> How am I supposed to fact check that? You go through and you look up maybe some of the different processes and see if you've can fill in any gaps okay and then they do the wine tasting and with the whites they'll be like and then this one we can taste a little effervescence or kerosene if we're in chile which is a green pepper mm -hmm. and then with the red they'll say this one is the color of blood and that's how you know it's this grape not at every vineyard <laughs> okay i hope i answered that well I think I would do better if I could actually walk through the space because when I see the large like equipment and things like that, I remember what they've said about it previously. Sure. No, that sounds good. 
Are you ready for your question? Now that it's my turn. So, Joey, how or why do glow sticks glow? So it has to do with the electromagnetic spectrum. Oh, really? And electrons jumping to a high energy state, giving off light. Wait, so it's the same thing as fire and like fireworks? (laughs) Not exactly. Because isn't it cold and it's contained? Well, I was going to say, I mean, it's the same principle where it's like a chemical reaction. Oh. So that's why you're basically, it's kind of like an ice pack in the same way, where the ice pack, it has the inner bag and then the outer bag. And you break the inner bag and then it's a certain type of reaction. I'll let you save that for another time. But with the glow stick, you crack it. We have one. I should just crack one right now. I mean, if you ask me what the chemicals are inside, I can't answer that. I was going to say the colors like seem to, it's like, it's like, what is it called? Photoluminescent, lum, whatever. But it's like fluorescent. So I guess it's also a question about like how, why fluorescent colors are that way. If it's just like, I guess a different. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, you know, when you use a glow stick, it's very particular to the case. No one's looking to use it during the daytime out in broad light, you know, but when people are taking these glow sticks for parties or events, it's usually nighttime, so they're just cooler colors. And then I would imagine that they're also synthetic. I don't think there would be anything natural about it. And then when you take blue light, and you throw that into the mix, you're just getting even more pop from that. Hmm. There is that one thing where like the ocean has a fluorescent color from be- like some fungi or something in it. Yeah, I think it's like the bioluminescent algae. But that's the only case that I can think of fluorescence in nature. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I was going to say a firefly would probably mm-hmm. fall under a similar type of ideology. But yeah. We're going to have a lot to fact check because (laughs) all I knew was a chemical reaction. I'm sure a lot of people would say the same answer as me. Well, I'm sure that you will explain it better than anybody else could with your background once you do fact check it. Now, my question is, why should I know this? Because it's chemistry. Okay. So I'm responsible for all subjects of chemistry. Perfect. Okay. So for future reference, which subjects in chemistry do you feel most confident about? No, it's fine. We'll leave it as it is. Okay. Time to fact check. All right, so we're back. And I'm going to go first and try and give you a quick run through on how wine is made. And then we can kind of piece together anything that I, I missed from my previous run through. Does that sound good? Sounds good. So you grow some grapes. It's very simplified. What? And then you harvest them. Now, do they ever tell you about the grapes and whether they're the same grapes that you would eat from, let's say, like Welch's or something like that? They are not the same grapes. They're very small and tiny, and the skin is can be very thick. That's right. And it has seeds. So do your grapes. Not always. Okay. They're seedless grapes. And so they're harvested. It's either done by a machine or by hand. Um, it's really just a matter of scale and quality. Um, so if it's a huge vineyard, they're going to do it with a machine. And if it's a smaller vineyard, it makes more sense to do it by hand. And by hand also has the added benefit that you're not crushing any of the grapes in the process. 
So like a higher quality vineyard or plot is going to be picked by hand and not a machine. And then the first stage is alcoholic fermentation. So that's sugar plus yeast equals alcohol and CO2. Okay. And that's done in like big stainless steel tanks. And red wine is fermented with its skins and white wine is removed from the skins first before it's fermented. Would you say red wine or white? I said red wine is fermented with its skins and white is fermented without. Yep. And so then eventually they press the wine. So like they do 15% pressed wine and then 85% free wine so that there's less skins, I guess, in it. And then it's like a nice blend (laughs) of the two. Is that right? Yeah. So, I mean, they're not adding water. And if you take the grapes and you just put them in the vat, they're not going to do anything. So you need to have some sort of liquid in there. So since you're not using water, you're just going to squeeze some of the grapes. Okay. Okay. To kick off that process of fermentation slash getting them to break apart. So then the next stage is just called the aging process. um, And that can be in an amphora. Um, an inox, which is just like a big, another stainless steel tap. What am uh, I tank? And what's, okay. an, what's an amphora? Amphora is ceramic and it's like, it looks like a big vase. It looks like an egg. Well, it's so showing the... Imagine like the, an eggshell. Do you see the amphora shown differently as the concrete? And that's what the concrete one is an egg. Okay. And then, or an oak barrel. And then in that process is when you get the malolactic conversion. So that's where malic acid, which is tart and sharp, like an apple, is converted into lactic acid, which is soft and round, like in milk. And racking is when you remove the clear wine from the sediment. So it says French is soutirage. I don't know what that means. I will post this so you can look at it. (laughs) And then it goes through refining. So they remove sediment and particles by binding them to a medium French barrel, I guess. And then it's filtered after the aging is deemed done. And they remove sediment and particles by passing the wine through filters. And then it's bottled and stored again for different amounts of time, depending on quality of grape and type of grape is that good yeah i think this is more like a a lecture than let's say a wine tour yeah but i'm just like this is what they're basically going through i tried to look up like how to be a wine tour guide and everything was just like how to go on wine tours so there wasn't i don't think tour guides google it (laughs) i think they like apprentice first or they go to school for it and then they figure out a way to, memor- in a memorable way, go through all of the steps it takes to make wine and why that vineyard is special. Well, I mean, I think the one thing that the tour guides have is that they're part of the process. So they're not just tour guides. I mean, they do that, but they also witness the process. So, you know, a brand new tour guide, they probably have to learn a little bit about wine without knowing the vineyard all that well. But when they become part of that vineyard, then they actually learn every step of the way because they're there every day right Mm -hmm. i mean except for weekends hopefully they get one or two (laughs) days off okay your turn with my topic i actually thought it would be cool to start talking about bell labs so when people think about google nowadays and how they just do everything right they have their driverless cars they have the street view they're working on 
Wi-Fi, they have phone lines, now they have smartphones, they don't just do the services side, they're actually like working on products. So they're just an endless amount of money and they have tons of capabilities for research. So go back to the 60s, et cetera, and Bell Labs was that group. They were in New Jersey, so they're not too far from New York City, maybe they were an hour away or so. And it was a huge center and it was where, you know, the greatest minds, it wasn't, let's just say tech heads, it was a combination of everybody. So you had physicists with mathematicians, with engineers. I wouldn't say they all get along, but that's what, that's what you dealt with. So a couple of these guys, let's call out Michael Rahut, Laszlo Baliki, and Edwin Chandros were at Bell Labs back in 69, 1969. And they came up with this chemical called Sialum. Think about it. It's kind of like SkyoClean. So Sialum is a pretty name for this ingredient called 1,2-dioxetanedione. You're going to hear more about this. So you know how the glow stick, we talked about how it has that cracking ability. So what you're doing is you take the glow stick, you bend them. There's that inner glass tube. And that gets broken, obviously. What's inside there is hydrogen peroxide, which is a highly reactive material. This reacts with that silume, which is also unstable. So you're taking two very unstable products and you're putting them together. And the whole idea is to get them to stabilize. So those two products are decomposing and they create carbon dioxide, which obviously releases energy. The energy is absorbed by electrons in the dye molecules. And those dye molecules are with the silume outside of that inner tube. The energy is absorbed by the electrons in the dye molecules. They falter their ground state, they lose their energy, and they form light. So you have your, your red, your orange, your yellow, your green, and your blue. I'm not going to go into all of them, but some of them have cool names like rhodamine, rubrine, and then the others are going to be something I butcher, like 9-10-diphenylanthracene. Whoa. So, the so one- it like is losing energy and then that losing energy is releasing itself. Like because energy can't be destroyed, it's just releasing that energy in the form of light. Yeah, exactly. Well, so the dye is absorbing that energy mm-hmm. and forming light. It also is technically an exothermic reaction. So there's a carbon dioxide. Warm. It's, I mean, so it's so well insulated okay. that you're not going to feel that much heat, but... It is technically exothermic. We're not saying that it's a hot pack. It's not going to be that exothermic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Two things with hydrogen peroxide, I always think bubbles. So I guess that's not happening in this space. And no, then, because it's reacting more aggressively. Yeah, and then the second thing was you said carbon dioxide, but if it's producing carbon dioxide, couldn't that thing kind of like explode or it's just not enough to do that? Yeah, it's definitely not enough to do that. Um, it's also, you know, those things are pretty thick. Yeah. So, yeah, you're not getting that much uh, reaction to, to cause anything to explode or get that much heat, etc. You don't want to eat them or you don't want to open them up because it releases something called phenols. And they've been known to be like potentially carcinogenic slash an irritant for your skin. I was going to say people so, used to like break them open and like take photos with the glow liquid on themselves at night, you know. Yeah. Um, so don't do that. I would say don't do that. So the other thing for this Sialum 
So think about it, psi like science and then lum like light. So this is actually a chemiluminescence type of reaction. Um, the benefit of a glow stick is that it's self-contained. It's a short-term light source. So when you think about people that use it, um, obviously we talked about, you know, it's probably most popular for like parties and raves and mm -hmm. different types of like cool events like that, maybe art shows. Mm -hmm. um, but they're also used for military, police, fire, and EMS. They're also used recreationally. Um, they used to mark like areas clear. Sometimes divers will take them, you know, since they can go deep and um, it, it gives off enough light. I mean, technology has really improved in so many areas that you have, you have like LEDs now and things like that. I was going to say waterproofing is better. Um, you can get more lights from or, or higher emittance of light from other sources that these are not as popular, but, you know, back in the day, you didn't have the option. So this was a great way to give, you know, that one time like emergency situation or for deep divers that didn't have the, the waterproof housings to do um, such a thing. So and did you find any natural occurrences of those reactions? So, I mean, you're not going to find a natural occurrence of this particular reaction. OK, but I mean, I can I can quickly do a bioluminescence search. So there's plankton that are bioluminescent. You're going to get really cool photos. I actually took photos of some jellyfish that are, have that bioluminescent. Right. If you think about it, we have the firefly, the glowworm, the... There's that fish in deep water that has the little decoy light coming out of its head. You've seen that one where it's like this. Yeah, I don't know what those are called. But no, I know. I'm just giving an example. So I'd say it's probably most common in those sea creatures. Mm -hmm. It only looks like the firefly would do that outside of every And then I think creature. some plants do it. Yeah, some fungi and some microorganisms. If you think about like bacteria, etc. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, this was another episode of I should know this with Joey and Allie. Please fill out our Google form if there's any topic you want us to talk about and just to help us get some constructive feedback. Yeah. And we'll be back to our regularly post schedule now that we have no vacation time left. <laughs> For now. <laughs> For now. Bye.